Westside. Westside will be in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 15 through chapter 4, verse 3. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, please go ahead and take advantage of that pewback Bible right there in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, we want you to have that. That's our gift to you this morning. There is no greater gift than God's Word. Amen? All right. When you get to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, say glory to God. All right. Follow along and have your eyes on Scripture. Beginning in verse 15. That which already That which is already has been, and that which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Verse 16. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. And I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Chapter 4. Again I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power, And there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning again. We're glad that you're here as we continue in our series through Ecclesiastes. And if it's your first time here, we're well into the book. And we would just direct you to our website so you can get some past uh, sermons and content and context for the book and everything like that. But what we're finding out is an ancient wisdom literature is still extremely relevant today. And Solomon is looking at some of the deepest questions in life. And he's asking, what is this really all about? Where is the meaning and where is the purpose found? And today, um, as I was studying these verses this week, it was just crazy with everything that is going on in the world and the heartache and the bad um, in the news and all over the place. Fifty people hurtled into eternity. And I'm very deeply saddened at reactions because there is no time now to just weep. But rather, there is opinions everywhere. I'm so exhausted from opinions. But rather, the heart of Christ looks, and people created in the image and likeness of God hurtled into eternity. I think Jesus weeps, and his heart breaks. And it's almost overwhelming when you turn on the news. It's almost overwhelming when you survey your own life and you look at everything and there are days and there are times where everything seems bad. Everything that I see seems bad. 
And today Solomon says a number of things. But the phrase, I saw, if you look in the text, it starts in verse 16, wherever I saw under the sun. And then again in verse 20, rather verse 22, I saw, and then he says, I said in my heart. So, so he's seeing things. He's, he's looking at the world and he's surveying things and he's seeing a lot of bad And then he's asking himself, and then he's coming to sort of a conclusion, if you will. I said in my heart. Maybe this will be helpful. I don't know if you've ever seen the TV show Running Wild with Bear Grylls. Um, But that dude is crazy, okay? Um, This guy is just helicoptering in crazy places, and he's surviving, and he's doing all types of stuff. And he had another series where he would take sort of famous celebrities and athletes along with him on these crazy excursions. And one celebrity said that, um, you know, I, I love the outdoors and I hike and I walk all the time, but there's something different when you go with a guy like Bear Grylls. Um, by the way, his name's Bear. Like, that's cool. Like, he was set up in life to win, right? I mean, I mean Bear, that's incredible. And they said, you know, I've, I've been outside, I do a lot of camping, I do all of that, but I've never walked um, with someone like Bear because he sees everything. And later on in the episode, um, that guy was continuing to walk, and Bear said, wait, 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 watch your step. And sure enough, there was like this deadly snake close by that if it would have bit him, it would have killed him, and Bear was the only guy to see that. And today, Solomon is, is sort of like that for us, that, that as we're surveying and walking through life and as we look out across the landscape and see so much, Solomon's going to tell us some very important things that he himself is seeing And what's crazy is, is that no matter how technologically advanced we get or education or anything like that, the human condition and the problem still remains the same. And so Solomon, in all of his infinite wisdom, is going to help us today. And and what we're going to see is we're going to see what Solomon saw, and then we're going to look at what he said or what he knows, and then we're going to find out what, what we can know as well. So, so what does Solomon see when he looks out in humanity? The first thing that he sees is injustice instead of justice. Because look at what it starts in verse 16. Wherever I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. Literally what he's saying in the original language is in the courts. So, so, so I surveyed and I looked in the land and in the courts and in the place where the laws and the legislations are given. And where I was supposed to see justice, all I see is wickedness and injustice. Oh my, how things have not changed, right? This image is probably familiar to you, right? Lady Justice and her scales of justice. Um, And I think we, even today in 2019, beg and say, the scales are off. And it's difficult that, that in the place that we're supposed to find the comfort and to find the right rulings of that, when we look and we see... It's, it's interesting. People often say that, that it, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Have you ever heard that before? That's wrong. That's wrong. The place of power reveals the corruption that was already there. 
There is brokenness in the heart of man. I mean, many of us have many of opinions about how things should be ran, but what would it look like if you were in that seat? What kind of wickedness would boil to the top of your own heart? And what Solomon is saying is it is very disheartening when we look out and in the place that is supposed to be protecting and ruling and reigning, what we see there is injustice. And the phrase that's very famous, if you have small children, if you've ever heard it before, is that's not fair. You ever heard that before? That's not fair. I mean, we have three kids. If the banana is not sliced properly at our home, World War III will break out, right? I mean, because that's not fair. And what's interesting, what we're going to find a little bit later on is, is everybody wants justice. But you don't want justice for yourself. Everybody wants fairness. But when it comes to God's justice, we tend to gloss over that. Because what we're going to find out is is we don't want fairness, actually, when it comes to God and his justice. And so when we look out, what's Solomon seeing? He's seeing injustice where justice should be. And then the second thing is this. He sees oppression and power instead of comfort and peace. Look at what he says in chapter 4, verse 1. And again I saw, remember he's surveying life. Again I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. And on the side of the oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And then, and then he says something real positive in verse 2. Check this out. And I thought the dead who are already dead are more fortunate than those who are still alive. Happy St. Patty's Day. What's he saying? He's saying, man, when when you survey and you look at life and when you find out there is injustice in the place of justice and where there's supposed to be comfort and peace, there is oppression and this ruling, reigning power. Um, There's almost a phrase that's like, um, it's better to be dead than to be alive. And the reason why is because then they don't have to go through this. They don't have to see this. Now, there's many opinions um, about these verses in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And did you know that the word oppression actually means to press up against? It's, it's literally where we get the phrase between a rock and a hard place. That's what the word oppression means. And so Solomon is saying that, that there is this thing in life, no matter what you see, that life is not fair. And it's a very brutal thing to find that out. That's why I'm not a fan of every kid getting a cupcake and everybody getting a star next to their name and we're not keeping score. Because that's not life, okay? When you show up late to work, you'll get fired, little Johnny, okay? So don't be late to work, all right? That's not the proper way. Solomon's giving us a reality check. He's saying that there is this side of life that is disheartening when we look at it. And the oppression is still true today. I mean, why do we see pawn shops, payday loans, and liquor stores in the poor parts of town? Am I not not supposed to go there? That's oppression. That is taking advantage of 
people with certain positions in life and pressing them. And yes, we want to work hard. And yes, we want to do all of that. But equal opportunity does not mean equal outcome. Okay? So you can't do those things. And so what Solomon is doing is he's dipping us into 2019. And there is oppression whether you like it or not. And I've already, you've already made judgments because I've revealed it. So when I say that oppression still exists, you automatically already have opinions. But when you look through the scriptures, who is God always comforting? The oppressed. Who who were the people of Israel? Who did Jesus hang out with? Who did Jesus have the strongest words for all the time? Who is this man who eats with sinners and tax collectors? The oppressed. And so Solomon says, man, when you look out at life, there seems to be a lot of bad. It's not fair. And where there's supposed to be comfort and peace, there is injustice and depression. And, and isn't it haunting that he says, and, and there was no one, no one to comfort them? It's, that's, that's haunting to me, that Solomon being in a position of power, and you can read in 1 Kings some of the decisions that he had to make in ruling and reigning in the background of that. But the haunting thing about it is, is he says that there was nobody there to just comfort them. Because in that train of thought, people now are a means to make a profit, or people are a problem, or people are this and are that, rather than people created in the image and likeness of God. That's what he sees. Zippy, right? So what does he know? What does he know? Because some of you are going through a season of everything that you're seeing is like Solomon. It's bad. Everywhere that I turn, every time I turn on the news, every time I survey my family, every time I look at my life, all that I see is bad. Solomon's going to help us process. Now, what does he know? And this is where you get this from the phrase, I said in my heart. What does Solomon know? The first thing is this, that God will judge all injustice. That's what Solomon knows. That's how he can survey the land and see injustice in the place of justice because he knows that God will judge that. And look, he says it right here. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. Hey, by the way, did you know this, that Peter carries this phrase in the New Testament? And Christians oftentimes wave the banner that God is coming to judge the world and all of this. And yes, we hold true to that. But do you know where the judgment starts? In the house of God. Judgment starts with the household of God. So when when that happens, God's kids get it first, okay? And what that means is, is that that should humble us. We don't wave signs and banners of judgment. Rather, that humbles us. And Solomon says, the only way that I can live in an unjust world is to know the fact that God will judge the righteous and the wicked For there is a time for every matter and every work. Um, Paul Harvey illustrates this well. You remember Paul Harvey and the rest of the story? Paul Harvey tells a story about a guy by the name of Gary Tyndall. Gary Tyndall was arrested for armed robbery and was in the courtroom getting ready to get sentenced and judged. And he asked for a short bathroom break. And as he went to the bathroom, he removed the ceiling tiles and began to escape the courthouse. 
And as he did so, he fell through the ceiling tiles right back in the courtroom in front of the judge. (laughs) It's true, you can look it up. That's what Solomon is saying that we have to know about God being the righteous judge. That the reality is, is that nobody gets away with anything. Nobody does. It might seem like it right now because that's all I see. But rather I said in my heart a conviction, something that I stand on, that I know that God will judge both the righteous and the wicked, he says. And so what is our job as Christians? Our job as Christians is to leave it to the judge. Okay? No more social media warriors. All right? Because now, for some reason, in 2019, sharing a status is the same thing as doing good for some reason. It blows my mind. But look at what the scripture says and what Paul encourages in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Leave room. Some of you are crowding out God. Some of us think that we have to take this into our own hands and we've got to lead the crusade. Do we stand up for that? We're, oh, oh, we're going to learn about that in just a minute. Absolutely we do. But we do it in a, in, in a way that we know ultimately at the end that Jesus Christ will make all things new and right again. That is the hope that we have as Christians. And remember Jesus, right, 2019? Looks like a lost member of the Beach Boys, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, white guy, right? Always fascinating, those pictures of Jesus. Remember the do not judge Jesus, right? How about this Jesus? This is a good one. Luke chapter 18, verses 7 through 8, after he's given a parable about justice. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? who cry out to him day and night, will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus understood this. And it's hard, because remember that Jesus went through the unjust trial Remember the sketchy trial at night and all of that type of stuff? That, so why are you and I so in awe and amazed and offended when we face injustice? Knowing that the God that we serve and the Messiah that we follow even experience this. As Paul encouraged Timothy in 1 Timothy, for all of those who follow Christ will face persecution for their faith. And I think in 2019, that looks more like a social persecution in the West for us. Now, there is all types of things happening over the world that are horrendous. But I think for us, as it keeps progressing, like, are you willing to lose your job for that? Friends, all of those type of things. And the only rock that you can have when you see is you have to know. And we know that God will judge all the injustice. And then the second thing is this. That God will somehow, somehow use the bad to accomplish his good. And the operative word is somehow. Look at what he says. For there is a time for every matter 
and for every work. Remember a couple weeks ago in chapter 3? There's a time and place for everything and all of that. He's, he's linking back to that. And we said that God is in control of time, that that is something that he is doing, the seasons and all of those things. And what Solomon is saying is somehow, in some way, that there is a right time for this. And that God... One of the great objections to Christianity and to God is either God is all-powerful and not all-loving, or God is either all-loving and not all-powerful. Because if he was all-powerful, then he's not loving. Because if he was all-powerful, then he would stop all the bad. Or God is all-loving and he loves everyone, but he's not all-powerful because he's not stopping the bad. And the reality is, is that's not the ultimate act of power, is to just stop all bad. The ultimate act of power is to reverse bad for good. That's the incredible show of power. Some of you know the name Joni Erickson Tato. She was good friends with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. And when she was a young girl, she dove into a swimming pool and heard a snap and broke some vertebrae in her neck and was a quadriplegic for the rest of her life. She's still living today. You can hear a radio podcast and she's gone through an immense amount of suffering in her life and pain and trial and heartache. And when she was interviewed about this idea of God being all-loving or all-powerful and why would this happen and this, that, and the other, Joni's famous line is that she says this, Sometimes God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. And the reason why we can't understand that is because we're not God. And Solomon's saying, I said in my heart, I'm not seeing that. I'm seeing all types of bad and all types of brokenness. But I said in my heart, I know that God will judge the righteous and the wicked. And I know that there's a time for every matter and that somehow God is working in and through all of this bad to accomplish his good. But then there's another thing that Solomon sees, and it's this, that God tests us to show us our place. Look at what he says in verse 19. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and a man has no advantage over the beasts for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to the dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. This is not a question of of, of destiny, really, as much as it is this idea of death. Because in verse 21, when he says, who knows whether the spirit goes up, he answers that later on in chapter 12, verse 7, that all spirit goes back to God after it dies. What he's showing you is, maybe this will help, Um, ever been to the store when they predict that ice and snow are coming? Right? Ever been Black Friday shopping before? As the famous theologian, the Joker, tells the Batman, when the chips are down, these people will eat each other. And what Solomon is saying is, when you see this type of injustice and this oppression, you realize that there is... He's not so much talking about destiny as he is depravity. The brokenness of humanity. And that in the end, we are dust. We were created from that and we will go back to that. 
And what Solomon is saying is that I saw this because God is testing them that they may see themselves are but beasts, he says in verse 18. He's saying that this should humble us in a way. That as C.S. Lewis says, we have what's called chronological snobbery. That we look back and we think that we are so much more and so much better and this, that, and the other. But in reality, the human condition remains the same. And so what's the big idea? What's Solomon trying to teach us in this? I think it's this. When everything that I see is bad, I have to know that God is good. That's that's the only way that I can survey what seems to be the meaninglessness of life and the brokenness of life that I saw and I saw and I saw, but I said in my heart, but I said in my heart. And then he says it there at the end, verse 22. So I saw that there is nothing better that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will come after him? Solomon, how? How can we enjoy this aspect of life and what's going on when all we see is brokenness around us? Is to know that even in all of this bad, that God is good. And Jesus even says this when a man comes up and says, good teacher. And Jesus reminds him, you don't even know what you're saying. And in Mark 10, he says these words, and Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. That's that's not a popular opinion, man. Jesus is saying, you don't even understand what you're saying to me. God alone is good. And then the psalmist always encouraging in Psalm 31, how great is your goodness that you have stored up for those who fear you and accomplished in the sight of every one of those who take refuge in you. You hide them in the protection of your presence. You conceal them in a shelter from the schemes of men, from quarrelsome tongues. It is only the goodness and kindness of God as Paul says in Romans, that leads us to repentance. So so what can we know? How can you apply this, that when everything that I see is bad, how can I know that God is good? The first thing is this. Um, Life isn't fair, and by the way, neither is grace. Neither is grace. You don't want fairness, because if you fought for your rights as we are indoctrinated here in the West with God, then you would be in hell tonight. Because we have no rights, for no one is good except God alone. For we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and by nature children of wrath. But God, in His richness and kindness and mercy, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Life isn't fair and neither is grace. And what does that look like applied to your life? It's very hard to look down on someone who's living off welfare when you were living off the welfare of God. I'm weary to my bones in these opinions. And it's just like nobody's a human being anymore. Nobody is just created in the image and likeness of God and created with their creator and endowment of that. Life is not fair and neither is grace. And when you understand that life is not about you and you're not the Avenger, you're not Mr. Captain American Marvel Hulk Thor guy, okay? Life isn't fair and neither is grace. And we should be thankful for that. The second thing is this. We do what is right and we leave the rest to Jesus. We do what is right. We stand up for injustice. 
I read this past summer the autobiography of Dr. Martin Luther King. I finished it on vacation. We love Dr. King on Dr. Martin Luther King Day when we share the quote and stuff like that because he's safe and he's tame. He wrote a letter to his father. He said, I surveyed every white church in town and begged the pastors to sit in with us and to march with us. And none would do it. And I closed the book. I thought, God, don't let that be me. Don't let that be me. Don't let me sit by when something like that is taking place. And listen, you can paint me in whatever corner you want to paint me in. I'm just tired. I'm so tired of all the opinions that we just don't have time to do what's right and then to leave it to Jesus because Revelation 21 tells us that when he comes, that he makes all things new and all things right. And the early church, when, by the way, they were being burned alive, prayed, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. Lord, come quickly. So we do what's right. We stand up and we fight for those things. We are not violent towards people. We are violent towards our own sin. And we do what's right. And we leave it to Jesus because life isn't fair and neither is grace. But lastly this, death is certain, but I don't have to fear it. I mean, I mean, I mean if I could summarize one of the main points of Ecclesiastes, it's death is certain. I mean, you can drink those juices, you can crossfit it, you can eat that kale. God, I don't know why you would, but like, <laughs> right? Maybe with some butter on it. Put butter on the kale. That'd be great, all right? But you're going to die. That's a part of our humanity and our frailty. But you don't have to fear it. Why? Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, kings and queens traveled the country to come and get the wisdom of Solomon. But something better than Solomon is here. He was speaking of himself. And in John 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And if anyone who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Do you believe this? Isn't it incredible that you can have that certainty in your life? As the band comes and leads us in a time of response, I really feel that this is a word for us today. I mean, I prepared this and was studying this, and then in light of world events and everything that's taking place, when everything that I see is bad, I must know that God is good. I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to have a prayer on the screen. I would love for us to read this out loud corporately together before we come and partake in the table. Westside, stand to your feet and let's lift our voices to the God that hears us. Almighty God, every good thing comes from you. Fill our hearts with love for you. Increase our faith and by your constant care, protect the good you have given us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is alive with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you today knowing our place. There is so much bad. Just break our hearts, God. No opinions, no opinions, no political affiliations, no anything. 
just at the feet of Jesus, weeping with him as he looks out and sees the brokenness of humanity. God, for many of us in this room, all that we see is bad. But may we say with Solomon, and I said in my heart, may we know, may we know that you are good even when we can't see it. And that's why we live by faith and not by sight. And God, the greatest injustice, the greatest wickedness, and the greatest oppression that the world has ever known happened there at Calvary. And the greatest wickedness and the greatest injustice and the greatest oppression led to the greatest salvation and victory in all of humanity and eternity. Because three days later, the grave was empty and the throne is now occupied. So now we say today, God, we see a lot of bad, but we confess with our hearts and our mouths that we know that you are good. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this all in the risen King who will bring justice in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you come and partake in the elements as you feel led today?